Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. I'm so glad to be able to to share the word together this evening. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm Robbie Itterberg, one of the pastors. And I'm wondering uh, if you ever, um, well, if you've ever let your kids get lost. That may be kind of a weird sounding question. And maybe I'm just a little sick and I'm the only one that's done this. And that's okay because I've done it pretty much for all of my children. But Everett's our youngest. He's now three and a half. and, And... He's at this point where he is just a ball of energy everywhere he goes. And so when we try to take him out into public, going into stores, he just wants to get into everything and touch everything and climb on everything and do everything. And so, you know, that becomes obviously quite problematic. And he's really a little too big to just totally strap down in a cart anymore. It seems like that's not probably right. And so... So recently I was waiting in a line at the pharmacy counter and I told him he needs to stay right here. Well, of course, he begins to, to just wander. Right? It's not like he just bolts off, but he begins to wander. It's this shiny thing leads to that thing leads to that thing. And I got to be honest, he comes, he comes by it honestly. Like there's, I got some of this in me. But you know, so eventually he's wandered off far enough that I decide, you know what, now's probably a good time. And so I kind of move out of his line of sight. Now, I'm 6'1", so I can like see over and around things and he's not, and so he can't, I can see him, but he can't see me. And he's totally fine for a while, oblivious that he is no longer near me and just having a blast. And then the moment comes, right? The head on the swivel, eyes getting big, Starting to call out, you know, where am I? And, you know, eventually is just terrified. And I don't let it go on too long. I'm not that cruel. But long enough that it hopefully has made an impact. And I come and I get down really low. And I, you know, I ask him what happened. And he tells me he's scared. And, you know, he couldn't find me. And I said, okay, and, and why did that happen? I don't really know. And he's, you know, a little overwhelmed. And it's like, well, did you stay where I told you to stay? No. (laughs) So when I ask you to stay, I need you to stay so that you don't get lost, right? And and that's really actually a good lesson for our children. Hopefully it leaves a mark and he stays close by. But it's also the reality for each and every one of us. When we're not where we're supposed to be, we'll miss God also. We'll no longer be in his presence. And we're going to jump into that this evening. This is the next message in our sermon series we've been calling Just Like Us, Ordinary People Changing the World. It's, it's really been our summer sermon series where each week we are looking at one of the 12 apostles. Those are the 12 men that Jesus called out of the crowds to come and be with him in a unique and intimate way. And also called them, uh, as he called them, he then sent them out also. 
with authority to cast out demons, to heal with the authority of the message of the kingdom of God, which was the good news of what God was up to in the world. And through these people, God changed the world. And we're the beneficiaries, the inheritors of their work and their labor. And each week we've been looking at one of the 12 disciples, 12 apostles, and in them seeing, I think I've been seeing some of myself in their story. And hopefully we together are gleaning something about what it also means for us to be called into this relationship with Jesus and also to be sent into the world by him. And so tonight, we've only got three left. And so tonight, we're going to look at this question, how can we be sure? How can we ensure that we stay in the presence of God where he intends us to be? And so we're going to read from John chapter 14. If you want, you can follow along on the screens if you'd like, but let's together listen as God speaks to whatever your circumstances are this evening. These are the words of Jesus. And he says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Let's pray as we move into this word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, that you guided it as it was captured and written down. You've guided it as it was compiled. You've guided it to be brought to us this evening, and by your Holy Spirit, may you guide our thinking that we can not just hear, but that we can understand and receive, and then ultimately respond to the word you have for us tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we trust and we pray. Amen. So this conversation between Jesus and the disciples happens the evening before Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross. And he knows that very clearly. And so actually this whole section of the Gospel of John is Jesus preparing them for what's going to happen. He's, so he's telling them about the events. He's teaching them about the significance. He prays for them. And all the way through it, he's really trying to encourage them so that they don't totally give in to despair. And so he tells them, as he's been telling them, hey, I'm leaving. He also says, I won't leave you as an orphan. Right? He said that very clearly in this passage. I will come to you. So, yeah, I'm going to die, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan, as a child without a father. A father would be a, a protector and a provider, would be a guide. 
Right? And it's also uh, the language of a disciple and a teacher. A student and a master would also, when a, a teacher would abandon a student, they'd be an orphan as a student. And so Jesus in this context is saying, I'm also not going to leave you without someone to guide and teach you. And so he's letting them know that, yes, I'm going to go and I'm going to die, but you won't be alone. You'll have what you need in order to keep moving forward. So how can he say that? And he doesn't have them really linger too long on that. He, he actually really quickly tells them, he says, it's really because I'm going to be raised from the dead. Because what's going to happen is soon the world's not going not to see me, but you'll see me. So for a bit, everybody's not going to see me because I'm going to die. I'm going to ra- rise from the dead. And when that happens, I'm going to really show up to you uniquely. I'm going to be present to you, not to the world in general, but to you. You'll see me. You'll know me because I live. You will live. You'll realize that I am who I've said I am, that I am in the Father. The Father's in me. And when I rise from the dead, you will also be invited to be with me, to be in me, and in this intimate relationship with the Father. So it's really very difficult for us to understand, and we're well after the fact. And so you gotta imagine, they're trying to wrap their head around what Jesus just said in the moment. And so one of the disciples speaks up, because he doesn't really get it entirely. And this disciple is the one we're talking about tonight, is Judas. Now, very quickly, John says, it's Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Unfortunate, right? They have the same name as the one who betrayed Jesus that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And, you know, but John very quickly says, hey, it's not Judas Iscariot. But it is also interesting, like, that's the way John chose to differentiate him. By what he's not. He didn't differentiate him by who he is, by what he has done, by his significance, It's really the thing that makes him different, it seems like, is that he's just not the one who betrayed Jesus. So not exactly this incredible, glowing recommendation. But but Judas is likely his given name. Because when we find the lists of the apostles in all of the Gospels, Matthew and Mark actually have a guy named Thaddeus who's not identified in John, and so it's highly likely, because the, basically the rest of these lists are the same, that this is the same person, that Thaddeus is Judas, Judas is Thaddeus. Now, Thaddeus would have been a nickname, and at the root of the word Thaddeus is this concept that has a few different kind of nuances and meaning. It, it's got like this idea of heart or, or mama or bosom or it, it, like it all comes together with this kind of nuance or understanding of like a bosom child, like this tender, precious, loved child of their mother and could possibly have been a little bit of poking him in the, the ribs like a mama's boy right? And it's possible that Thaddeus was the youngest of all of his siblings, right? That he was the baby of the family and so got treated like it. It's possible that he was the youngest of the 12. And so these guys just kept poking him, you know, that he was this little child, this little baby. 
But it's interesting that this is the nickname of this man who, this tender child, is also the one engaging Jesus in this conversation, which really has a lot to do with a childlike relationship, childlike faith with God. Even the language of orphan from a moment ago has this idea of a child loved by a parent, chosen by the parent to be loved. And so we get this this interaction then between this childlike man and Jesus. When Jesus says, I'm going to show myself to you, his question for him is, well, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? In it, you can almost hear the childlike question that comes out in it. Because on one hand, it could be this very childlike question of, you're amazing. You're the best thing that's ever happened. Why would, you, why would you not show yourself to everybody? Everyone should know you. Everybody should see how incredible you are. Because this is how much we appreciate, care, love, are in awe of you. The world should see you. I mean, it kind of reminds you of like on the playground when you, there's arguments about whose parents are better than the others. And, you know, my dad could beat up your dad. And you know, it's, it's like, everybody should see how strong my dad is. He's the best. And so you can kind of hear that as po- one of these possible, you know, streams coming underneath Thaddeus's question. It, it also could be a question that has to do with his, the, the disciples' overall lack of understanding of what Jesus has come to do. Because they still, right up to the end, it seems like they still carried this expectation. And I think in some ways a childlike expectation that Jesus was going to come as the, as the dad who was going to beat up the other dad. Right? That he was going to come and rule and conquer. That he was going to get rid of the Roman Empire. That he was going to ultimately set up the kingdom of God as a physical, tangible reality right there. And so the question could come from this place of, well, why would you just, how are you going to possibly set up your kingdom if you're only going to show yourselves to us? Like you're going to conquer, you're going to rise. So by definition, aren't you going to have to show yourself to the world? How are they not going to see you when you're rolling over our enemies and setting up shop? And so it it could come from these. There's probably other ways that we could read into it, but all of this comes perhaps out of this childlike place from Thaddeus' understanding of what God was going to be up to. And Jesus' response is not direct, which is just so Jesus, isn't it? Like if you've just seen every time they ask him questions, he frequently answers their question with a question. So at least this time, he didn't answer with a question. He, he basically says the same thing he had been telling them a moment ago. It's really, it's all about love. The reason I'm going to show myself to you and not to everybody else is it's all about love. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Right? It's all about this loving relationship, you know? And so he who loves me will be loved by my father and then I'll show myself to you. I'll be with you, you'll be with me. And I'll really only be with those who love me because it's really about a loving relationship at this point. And and so 
right baked in there is this question, which he answers actually multiple times. How do we love Jesus then? If, if ensuring we're having the presence of God in our life is to love God, what does that look like? And Jesus says it's all about obedience. Obedience. In other words, what we do and how we live matters. That we follow his commands. He actually repeats it three times in this passage. In verse 15, verse 21, verse 23. That if you love me, you will obey. It's going back to the story with Everett. Right? If, if you obey, that demonstrates your love, your respect. Right? Stay right where you are. Then you'll know that you have the presence of Jesus in your life. Obey his commands. Do what he says. And then you will have the presence of God right there with you. His spirit poured out on you and in you, moving through you. But the flip side of that's also true. If we disobey, we really can't expect to be in the, God's presence anymore. We can't expect that he will make himself known to us. If we've wandered away from where we were supposed to be, it's unreasonable to expect that we'll find God there. I think one of the hard truths that we find in this passage is if you don't feel like you have a sense of God in your life and I don't feel like I have a sense of God in my life, it may be because I am living disobediently. I may be choosing the parts that I like or the parts that I don't like of what Jesus commands. So often, I think, when you know, we hear commands in our lives, what's the first thing that comes to mind? For me, it's why. Like, wait, wait a second. You're, te- you're telling me what to do. Well, why should I do that? I, and we, we learn it from when we're little. You know, like, okay, go clean your room. Well, why? Why do I have to clean my room? Why do I have to do the dishes? Why do I have to do chores? Why should I do my homework? Right? And, and you, know, you get older and it starts to feel self-evident, but maybe, maybe not. And this question of why, I think it, it has two sides to it. Sometimes we ask why and it's, it's a question of understanding. Like we genuinely want to understand what's the benefit of cleaning our room? Why should we follow this path? Or why should we do or not do these things? And it's really a question of understanding to get a deeper knowledge of how life works and how the world works. But why is also, I think, a question of control. You know, why? Why should I clean my room? And now I'm going to let you give an answer and I'll decide if your answer is good enough before I decide if I will actually do what you've been telling me to do. And we don't often, I think, actually go through that whole exchange with God. We just cut right to the end where we just decide, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Or we, we tell ourselves or tell God, I'm not really capable of doing that. I'm, I'm imperfect. You know, so I, I, it just doesn't, I, it's not going to happen. Well, so much for even trying. Right? And, and so loving God is being obedient. And I want to say it's particularly being obedient if we don't understand. Because when we do understand, then we still kind of feel like we're in control. Okay, I'm making the best decision for my life or for this moment or how I'm going to interact with this person or what I'm going to do. 
But when I don't understand, now I'm really being pushed into what our relationship is about. Because if you tell me what to do, but I don't understand why you're telling me, what you're really saying is trust me. What you're really saying is, I have the best in mind for you. I want your best. And you can't understand, and I'm still going to ask you to do it. I mean, doctors ask us to do this frequently. At least, at least for me, I don't understand a lot of the time. You know, and so it's pushing that relationship. How much do you trust their knowledge? How much do you trust their understanding? How much do you trust their insight? How much do you trust that they're for you? And so when we push this, when God asks us to obey and we don't understand, what he's really saying is, how much do you love me? Will you trust me? If we want to be in God's presence, if we want to know his presence in our lives, then perhaps we need to lovingly obey. He's given us lots of his commands, lots of things. Will we, will we trust and do it even when we don't know? But it's not just about our love for him. Right? When he's asking us to obey and we don't understand, He's also saying, do you trust how much I love you? And that what I'm going to put you through is really for your good. It's the best thing that I could do for you. C.S. Lewis is a, a, a theologian and a professor in the middle of the last century and incredibly deep thinker. And in one of his books called Problem of Pain, he, he used an analogy he used a bunch of analogies, but one of the analogies he used to describe God's love for us is really our love as humans for our dogs. Right? I just heard recently somebody, another person that unfortunately had to, you know, after 15 years, they had to put their, their pug down, and it was devastating, right? And their, their reflection, as so many have experienced, they become a part of the family. And we have this love for them. But... C.S. Lewis says this is a helpful analogy because the association of man and dog is actually primarily for, for the man's, for human's sake, right? He tames the dog primarily so that he may love it, not that it may love him. And that it may serve him, not that he may serve it. Yet at the same time, the dog's interests are not sacrificed to the man's. The one end that he, that man, may love it cannot be fully attained unless it also, the dog, in fashion loves him. And it cannot serve him unless he, in a different fashion, serves the dog. What he's saying is, is this, that when you get a dog, you spend all this time investing in it, you know, washing it, training it, housebreaking it, teaching it not to steal and take things off the counter, in my house, teaching it not to get on the bed. That's my house. You can snuggle your dog. It's fine. There's no judgment. I'm just saying, not for me. <laughs> and as, as the dog lives into the training, it makes it more lovable. Makes it easier to love. A dog that never is housebroken, man, that's, whew. I mean, you can still love it, but it just means you love better and bigger than I do because that's tough, right? That's tough. 
Like, have you ever had a, a dog that just wouldn't be trained? We had, we had dog, dogs growing up, and at one point we had two dogs named Tater and Todd. And we got these dogs from the pound. They were rescues. It was, you know, so that was great. And the problem was Tater was a runner. And so we're pretty sure, we didn't know how old Tater was. And, you know, Tater, had, we're pretty sure, had had a, a rough younger years and seemed to have a lot of skittish fears. And so when the door would open just a little bit, Tater would take off running. And so I can remember so many times that I can just picture, close my eyes and I can picture where I've had to run through our neighborhood for miles and like it, Tater's going that way and I'm like, okay, I'm going to cut through this way, cut through that yard. I've had to go into people's garages to take it, take it out. And, and so like it was, it was awful constantly having to run to chase and we tried so hard, everything we could think of to try to train Tater. You know, we tried discipline, we, we tried shock collars, we tried treats, we tried, you know, all these different things. We tried having on a leash and showing the perimeter. We tried affection and toys and everything we could possibly think of because we wanted to be able to love Tater. We wanted Tater in our home. We wanted to be present. And she just couldn't ever do it. And eventually one day Tater and Todd got out and they actually attacked a dog that a woman in our neighborhood was walking, which was the first time that had ever happened. And of course, we couldn't keep them. So we had to give them up. And we longed, we wanted to, right? But just like these dogs, we run in our disobedience away from God, away from his purpose. And when we look at his word and we look at the high standards and we look at the ethical call and we look at the, the calls to justice and to seek out those who are marginalized and hurting and to sacrifice deeply for the sake of others, to love the poor, to, to do this, and we turn our heads away. We're running. And God wants to love us. He wants our obedience because he wants to be in a relationship with us. And yet, he won't. He'll let us go. And C.S. Lewis goes on and he says, Humans take all these pains with the dog and give all these pains only because it is an animal high in the scales, because it is so nearly lovable that it is worth his while to make it fully lovable. He does not house train the earwig or give baths to the centipedes. In the same way, God loves you like this, right? Uniquely, out of all of creation, God made you and me, humanity, for a relationship with him of love, where we trust his commands, where we are obedient, even when we don't understand as an expression of our trust, as an expression of our affection for him, but we also in obedience are saying, yes, I trust that you love me this much and that your way is the best way for me and that I don't understand and yet it's going to lead to fullness, I'm sure, even if the road from here to there is hard. And God asks from us the same obedience that he asked from Jesus. But unlike us, Jesus did not run. 
Instead, Jesus embraced obedience completely and wholly. His love for the Father knew no limit and no bound that he willingly gave himself up to death on a cross. And then that saying, this is how much he loved the Father. That he took that death on a cross to make us lovable. To really wash us clean from the stain of rebellion on our soul. From our lack of trust, our lack of surrender, from our desire to control and have understanding before we're willing to take a step in God's direction. That he took on in the cross our forsakenness, our lostness from the Father, so that we don't have to look around and wonder, is the Father there or not? But instead of having to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can cry out and we can say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for loving me that much. It's the same obedience that we're invited into is the same obedience that Jesus offered so that we could be loved by the Father, invited again to put our trust in him, so that we can be loved to have his presence of his Holy Spirit within us because he washed us clean and made us new. Friends, will, will we obey? Will you walk in loving trust that you are loved this much? Because our obedience is intended to come from love, not from rule and conquer. That was the heart of Thaddeus's question. Jesus wants our obedience not because we are terrified, not because we are afraid, not because we think that he is going to come and conquer and punish us, but because if that was the only reason we obey, then that will fill us with resentment. We might fear and we might do it for a while, but it will not move our hearts to affection to the Father that loves you. He wants you to know how loved you are so that you will lovingly, willingly, Surrender and obey. This is faith like a child. To obey like a child. To love like a child of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love that we really don't understand fully. That you work within us, to shape us, to make us more lovable. You give us the commands that we can walk in your way so that we can receive more and more of your love. We can be aware of more and more of your presence so that your spirit can be alive and within us. And yet, Lord, we also recognize that we choose to run. Some commands seem too hard. Some we don't understand and so we reject. Some we just don't like and so we choose to ignore. Lord, forgive us. We thank you that, Jesus, you were obedient so that we can have that forgiveness so that we can know the presence of the Father 
We can have you showing yourself to us and your spirit guiding us and leading us, protecting us and providing for us. Lord, help us to not just know the commands, but to walk obediently in them so that we can love you and experience your love for us more and more every day. Amen.